Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Casey Deck, an old friend of both myself and Jerry's from well over 20 years ago. He discusses his life as an athlete, as a skydiver, as a binge drinker. We talk about some of our old times, and we talk about some of our more recent times. And the cool thing about Casey, I mean one of the many, is that he didn't have to have a rock bottom to get sober. He just had a realization one day. There was no DUIs and there was no jail time. And what I love about that is that it doesn't have to be an absolute tragedy or a destruction of life for people to get sober. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Casey Deck. You know, just so that people get an understanding of, of how we know each other. Yeah. Um, you know, we we met through Jerry Wagner and right. um, I always felt like he was sort of he had these two circles of friends like you knew him before he moved back to Arizona. Yeah. Back in like 96 or something. And I didn't meet and I met him then, but I didn't meet you until the summer of 1998, I believe, because yeah. that's when he came back. And that was always what we called the summer of drugs because there was <laughs> anything and everything, you know, from from as much marijuana as the Oregon had to all the beer to huffing ether and the occasional cocaine and the occasional smoking of heroin and ecstasy and Molly and LSD and acid and, or, you know, mushrooms and all that stuff. But we met. um, I don't know if you came over to my house first or I was over at one of your parties, but I mean, I, I just, I still have these memories of a couple of different times going to your house parties. And like that one time I went, I think it was a, it was a beer bong. There was a beer bong involved. And I think I, I think I made a beer bong and I was having, I brought it to the party and I thought, I know it'll be a cool idea for his birthday. We'll give it to him because it was your birthday. Yes, I remember this. And so I got one of these paint pens and I was going to have everybody who took a beer bong sign the beer bong and then it would be your gift. Yeah. That's how, that's how, you know, (laughs) clever and, 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 you know, giving I am. And I remember doing a beer bong. And you guys put like some shots of vodka in it because you thought it would be funny. And I am it hit my stomach and I immediately went and threw it up. And I came yeah. out of the like immediately like it was like, oh, no, this is not happening. <laughs> right. I threw it up and then I came back out and everybody was laughing. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Fill it back up. I said, put some beer in there, put the vodka in there, put, um, I was like, what else do you have in here? Put some raw eggs in there, put some cottage cheese. I don't know what else. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah. see, and I took it and I kept it down. And I was like, see, I'm a real man. You can't make fun of me. And yeah. that's kind of, <laughs> that wow. was one of the memories wow. of, I remember maybe not meeting you, but the beer you, yeah. Um, I never used it again because we put cottage cheese through it. <laughs> right? But like, what, how crazy is that? Um, crazy. crazy. So you worked at the coffee corner when you mm-hmm. like, is that, was that your, um, connection? Is that how, like, was that's that... how I met Jerry. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I think I, you know, I, I don't remember how Jerry, I worked at the coffee corner and, um, with a few other friends. I don't know if we started at the same time or not, but as the friends, I remember Jerry getting into the mix, Jerry washed dishes there. And, uh, 
And then I remember leaving the coffee corner. I worked there a couple of years. And I remember leaving there and uh, getting like a construction job, which I think would have been, uh, I think it would have been like 97, but maybe, maybe it was 98. I remember I had like a construction job because in 1997, um, I, started skydiving in September of 1987. And then I think I moved away from Eugene in September of 1998. But I remember the summer leading up to that. And it was like, you know, I think I was 22 years old or something, mm-hmm. you know, and so we, we thought we were seasoned, we could legally go buy all of our alcohol, right. And so and alcohol alone was just sort of boring. I feel like it was the the, the the all of the group of friends just like brought a little something to that. And there was this just I mean, it's cool from a sense of like how close we all were, because I think that there was like really tight friendships. I think it's kind of hard to tell, you know, because but the common thread, unfortunately, I think was substance, you know, and I don't know how if that is good. (laughs) I I think following Um, all those people, though, you know, all those relationships, it was very formative for me. You know what I mean? Like I really, really cut loose and um, for the first time in my life, I really cut loose, you know, and and um uh partied like i hadn't ever partied before i think that there were some there were some real friendships there i know there there are friendships that i still have today mm-hmm. that i wouldn't have if it had not been for those early times of uh of yeah. drinking drinking early times whiskey but you know like drinking and um so i don't you know and i i try to be careful to not discount the whole thing as a bad experience that led me to destruction right yeah cuz it never well, I don't want to say it never, but it didn't start that way for me. There was a lot of, you know, for me, there was a lot of childhood trauma and there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of trying to deal with it and not having the right tools to deal with it. So finding alcohol and finding kinship and finding people that were just as crazy as I was in some way yeah. were like, yeah, let's get fucked up. Yeah. You know, like that yeah. was like, yes, OK, I've found my people. Right. Um, And I think that in some ways in recovery, I have, too. And these are still the people who are. Kind of crazy and kind of, you know, yeah. who who get obsessed about things. It's just from a different perspective now. Yeah. Well, um, there's something about those formative years and the experience in those formative years. It still resonates with us now. Right. And to mm-hmm. I know that when, you know, I saw you guys launch this podcast and I saw it kind of on social media, it just went across my feet. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Good for those guys. That's cool. Good for those guys. And, um, you know, I think separately from that, I started to like think about my relationship with alcohol and then it was it was awesome because I I just remember like I'm like you know I'm just gonna check this out I'm gonna see what these guys have to say and like holy cow the the fact that it was you guys and it was you guys from those formative years I just like it instantly I could relate to everything that you were saying and while our paths have been separated for a couple of decades really it's amazing that they've just come back together and make so much sense. And it's just, you know, it, it's been, I, I feel grateful that, you know, that it was like you guys. And I just remember when I first reached out to you, I'm like, man, I love hearing you guys laugh. You know, it's just so great, you know, and, and, um, and just be real and Jerry's sense of humor. And yeah, yeah, it's really, um, it's special because of that. You know, we went through these things, you know, we were half as old as we are now, you know, and like, just like, fledglings really adult fledglings sort of and not you know really knowing what to do with ourselves except just 
go for it. <laughs> yeah, I was you know? the first one in the house to turn 21, and that was such a big deal. And I remember telling everybody else in the house, yes. like, yeah, man, it doesn't matter what time it is. As long as the, the, the store is open, I'll, I'll buy us alcohol. You just tell me. Yeah. And people would, like, take me up on it, and be, it'd be, like, 1.45 in the morning. And I, I was asleep one time, and they were like, John, we need you to, you know, we need to drive you to 7-Eleven so you can pick us up two cases of beer. I was like, let's do it, man. I'm an adult now, you know? Yeah, right. Um, so, and it's, it really is like that word, that phrase formative years, like things were being formed for better and for worse, you know, friendships, but also habits and, um, propensities for things. Yeah. So, and I, so I didn't know you before then, before twenties. And I don't know if you like, what was your relationship to alcohol as a child? And I don't mean like, did you start drinking at 12? But like, yeah. was it around? Was it something that, you know, your parents had? I mean, what was, you know what I mean? Like, what was your relationship as a young, young person, as a child to alcohol? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. You know, nothing really jumps out as crazy, mm-hmm. uh, but probably pretty normalized, actually. You know, my dad, hip kind of hippie parents, they were from, they're from, they went to, they lived in Sonoma, right? <laughs> they were yeah. from down there and, and came up to Oregon to be school teachers. And, you know, and um, my dad brewed beer. And I thought we sure. were funny. And so he was, I, I remember beer, beer. Like I distinctly, like remember the white labels with the black block letters that said beer. My dad would always have that around. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any memories of, you know, no violence or any, you know, like poor behavior. Definitely my parents smoked pot and probably like kind of kept, it was pretty mellow. The house was pretty mellow, but I definitely remember that being around both of those things being around as a little kid, you know, like, Hey, you want to try this? You want to taste it? I remember tasting beer when I was five or six or something and being like, Oh, that's interesting. It was mostly like I was getting attention from the adults looking for my reaction. So I was like, Oh, I have another sip, you know, really it wasn't like, I didn't think it tasted very good, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, so I remember that being around. And I think by the time I got a little older, I think that my, I think that my parents kind of grew past some of that phase, you know, I mean, there still was drinking, but it was like, you know, a little more under wraps and, you know, the smoking. Nobody, pot. nobody in your family had a problem. No, no, you I don't, saw no, I don't that think you... so. No, my dad switched careers and, and, um, you know, and was a professional, you know, white collar guy and, and, um, you know, and worked a ton of hours and stuff, but, um, you know, super supportive, you know, just, uh, I have one sibling, a sister and, and, uh, it, that was all, I have super fond memories of, of being a kid. I was really good friends with my sister and still am today. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and so I, you know, that I like, I have this thought of it or this recollection of it being around alcohol being around, um, and, uh, but then didn't think much of it. And then, um, in high school, I kind of got left on the, I was sort of on the outside, the crowd. I wasn't with the cool kids and, and I, and I sort of grabbed onto that. I was, um, remember I, I played soccer all the way until like high school and I didn't play soccer anymore. I played soccer like all year round for eight years straight. And I just like, I hadn't developed really. And I found myself kind of on the outside and, and, um, and then I found my people that were also sort of a little bit on the outside and we were, we were really tight and we sort of, as a sort of, um, well, we don't have to, like, we wouldn't get invited to the keggers for starters. <laughs> right. But like, we even sort of like held it as this badge of honor that we didn't drink in high school, you know? And I remember a couple of good buddies went and 
their big sister or something got him a bunch of beer and I really just like I really scolded him for it. I, I really was like, I can't believe you guys did that. And I had a um I had a really good community. So it was sort of school friends and then I had friends from church youth group, you know, and so I was actually like I was a pretty straight and narrow, I don't know if narrow, but pretty straight laced mm-hmm. high school kid. You know, I was I, I got into bicycle racing, I think when I was like 14 and I took it really, really seriously. And, you know, sort of like my body is my temple. And, and, uh, um, I literally, I don't know how many people you've met, but I literally, other than that sip of beer, when I was like six years old, how many people do you know that graduated from high school, didn't have one drink, one beer. I graduated from high school so on a mission that that wasn't who I was and what it was. I literally didn't drink, you know, until after high school. And, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that something I mean, and, and, you know, I was, I don't know, maybe that was a little bit of, uh, you know, the, just my circle of friends and the peer pressure to not do that. And to, mm-hmm. to kind of look, that was sort of looked down upon, but you know, I don't, I could have easily gone the other direction. It was really like my group of friends and I were sort of like proud that we were, you know, didn't do that. And it was sort of a social status thing for us. Like, you know, we're, we're cooler than those people that go up to all the, all the football players and all the, you know, the people at the keggers We're cooler than them because we don't drink, but really I was probably like, we were probably pretty insecure <laughs> deep down inside, you know? Um, it's, 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 but it's interesting that it happened that way, <clears throat> you know? And, you know, I would always say, oh, well, I can't, I don't want to do that. I would get invited. Remember my senior year, I would get invited and I'd be like, oh no, I have a bicycle race, you know, tomorrow morning. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go out tonight or I have a bike race or we got a big, we've got a big ride coming, you know, yeah. um, I don't, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> you know, and I, and I really believed it, but I really kind of put the like athlete thing out in front and what, sort of an alternative athlete thing. Cause I didn't play any of the main sports at, at the high school. You know, I raced bicycles, you know, um, I was pretty secure though. I was 16 year old dude with shaved legs. that wasn't on the swim team. Like <laughs> I was pretty secure with myself and what I was doing. And, um, anyway, I, I remember as a graduation present, my wait, wait, can I, yeah, can I stop sure. you? So is it, is it better to shave your legs for aerodynamics for real? Like on the bike or is that just, no, it's not aerodynamics. It's preparing for road rash actually. Oh, well, because I was thinking about this, I was on a longer run the other day and I was starting to have a little, there was some chafing going on and I was thinking I need to reassess my, uh, my athletic salves and maybe my undergarments. And so, I mean, that's, that's a different conversation we could have later. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty intimate with what it takes to be, wear bicycle shorts and sit on a saddle, you know, for, (laughs) I probably have ridden a hundred thousand miles on a bicycle. I'm guessing, you know, maybe more, I don't know, 200,000, but anyway. Yeah. So uh, sorry. So you're an alternative athlete. You're doing great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, graduate high school and, and, uh, um, I remember, so it was in Eugene and we drove up to Portland and, and it just feel like as a graduation present, so to speak, we got to kind of like go up to my buddy's older cousin's house. She was mm-hmm. like, you know, just graduated college. And I think the plan was, and some of the, the group of us that were there were, you know, beer drinking football players and I wasn't. And she, th- this older cousin bought all this booze for us. And, uh, uh, I mean, I say us, but I didn't include myself in that. So I literally had never drank. And she left and is like, you guys, here's the house. I'm leaving for the weekend. Here's the house. Here's the booze. You're 18. You just graduated. Congratulations. Have fun. Just don't go anywhere. Don't drive. Right. Just like stay here. Like that's the only rules is don't drive a car and and take care of each other. 
And, uh, you know, like that's a super responsible thing. <laughs> At the time, we were like, wow, this is so great. They, 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 they're giving us all this responsibility. We thought it was this awesome thing. And anyway, so, you know, early afternoon rolls around and they start drinking beer. And there's like bottles of liquor and all kinds of stuff that's on tap for the evening. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't drink. I don't drink. And they're like, you do too. You do too. Like, they're like, the whole point of this is to do this. And I'm like, no, I don't. And John, I have to tell you like what happened in the next six hours, because when I did decide to go there, I had a moment like you were talking about with the beer bong. I'm like, rack them up. I remember somebody, I was like drinking orange juice. Well, we, you know, we got the orange juice for us to go with the vodka, right? That's mm -hmm. why there was orange juice. But I'm like, I'm just drinking orange juice over here. And I remember I walk away from my orange juice and somebody pours half of it out and fills it half with beer. It's shandy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I drink it and they start laughing and I'm like, it doesn't taste that bad. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, well, this isn't that bad. You know, and I, I distinctly remember that I was really like my first deliberate drink and I was 18, you know? And, um, I'm like, well, you know, why do I, at that point, I just was like, I'm going to do this, you know, and, and, um, like, whatever, what does it matter? I'm going for it. I remember pouring that out or just walking away from it and like, I'll have a beer. And it's like, Oh, well, you like beer. Cause at this point, these drinkers were like, they, they had this like specimen in front of them, right? This like drinking virgin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? and they're like, Oh, well, let's make you one of these. Let's make you one of these. And then I was, I must've been the life of the party. Now I don't remember all of the drinks, but I remember there was a lot of them. And I remember the experience of like hanging on the bar with my hands and like, you know, doing like, like the world was spinning to me. Give me another one. Um, I had like, I had like, cause back in those days it was like a badge of honor to count how many drinks you had. So I, I, um, I drank, I had 21 drinks and there was maybe only two beers and the rest was all liquor. And I'll probably kill me if I even tried half of that today, <laughs> you know, or, or any time later in life, it's like my body didn't understand what was happening. And, um, you know, I was, you know, everybody laughed and they took care of me, you know, but I, I remember how I felt the next day was a lot like I felt the night before, just hammered. <laughs> mm -hmm. Still. And, and so that was my, that was like the first time I drank alcohol, like literally the first time I just like, oh, I went huge. I didn't like wow. have a couple wine coolers. I had 21 drinks. I drank like a, probably a bottle of vodka by myself, you know, with a bunch of beer mixed in and, and, um, you did know, that, that, did that change your perspective? Though. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, I, I felt kind of grown up and I felt like, um, I caught up. I felt like I had like fit in. I felt like I pr proved myself because I just went absolutely crazy in front of all these guys who'd been pushing me and asking me to come drink with them for a long time in high school, year two maybe. And um, I was like respected because where you think that you're respected, right? Because mm -hmm. you know you went for it and you were the life of the party or you were the clown of the party or whatever it was. And um, it did change it. And I remember, you know, a few more times that summer, you know, there would be opportunities for us to drink and we would, we would do it. And, um, but you know, it's like summer after your high school graduation and, and, uh, um, I went off to college in the fall and, um, you know, and I just went for it. Somehow the university like made a mistake and put a 21 year old guy in a freshman dorm. <laughs> It's like that's the worst thing that could possibly wow. happen. Someone to buy alcohol for mm -hmm. the floor, you know, and and um man, that's just like it was on then, you know. It was it was, you know, it was party time and and um uh I 
it, it, I didn't look back. It definitely, um, I, I still was riding and racing bicycles then, you know, and so I didn't, I didn't, you know, make it a way of life necessarily, not yet. Um, and, uh, when I was 19, I went to the Olympic trials in bicycle racing. And so I, I was serious enough about it. I had like had this drinking experience, but it was just like, okay, well I'm, but I am serious about training and racing and like, you know, moved to Portland so I could train on the velodrome and upgraded to like a, almost like semi-pro and, and, um, uh, I burned out. I raced bicycles from when I was 14 until I was 19 and 19, I went really, really fast. I got to be a category one bicycle racer on the track which is the highest level professional mm -hmm. and, um, and a raced against like the world champion, literally raced against the world champion at the national championships. And, um, and, um, I wasn't in the same league as him. <laughs> I got to be right behind him when he, but like, you were there. I was there. Exactly. I really, I was, you know, and, and, and I needed to commit a bunch more years to physically get bigger and, and, you know, and who knows, I was pretty talented, you know, like a pretty good sprinter for a, not that big of a guy. And, um, and have the right sort of mentality, not back down. I was pretty, I, I was, I was pretty addicted to the feeling I got racing bicycles. You know, I was pretty addicted to the speed and the shoulder to shoulder and all of that. Um, I wasn't one of those like Tour de France racers who can go uphill fast. I couldn't go uphill fast at all, but I, you know, an all out sprint, I was a force to be reckoned with. And, um, and the season wound down and I, and I had this horrible crash and I totaled this just like beautiful bicycle that I had like saved all my money for. And I just looked at my, my bent up bicycle and my sort of thrashed body and saw how much time I'd poured into it. And I was just kind of broken and burned out from bicycle racing. And, um, uh, you know, so I was 19 and, uh, um, at the end of the summer, it was a sort of this grand finale, this big wreck of this last race of the year that I was favored to win. And I didn't finish cause I wrecked and, and, um, and, uh, I unplugged from that athlete scene then. And it was like cigarettes. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. <laughs> you know? So it was drinking, smoking, everything, you know what I mean? And, and it's Eugene, right? So there's smoking a lot of pot and, um, mm -hmm drinking lots of Milwaukee's best and, yep. uh, and, uh, and I was, and I was 19 and, and, um, you know, I kind of floated in and out. I, I dropped out of college and I tried to go again and, you know, then I've got a, you know, a part-time job and just kind of floating around and, and, um, in school, out of school, the community college and, um, you know, a few years of that. And, um, I just, quit college altogether and i'm like i'm gonna go back to school when i'm ready to go to school like i'm not i'm not gonna try to do this anymore and um you know when i was 22 years old um one of my best friends who was in the no drinking crowd and then definitely got into the other side of that when he went to college <laughs> and uh and i and i stayed there with him we see each other in the summers well he he learned how to skydive when he was like 20 or 21 years old and uh um, and I would go down to the airport and hang out. And he actually went to flight school for a university. He's a he's a airline pilot now. And so um, he, to earn his flight hours, would fly the skydivers, and they would pay him with skydives. Like so, he'd fly the plane like on Saturday, and then he'd like use his credits from mm -hmm. his, his payment was we'll give you five rides up in the airplane, and you can skydive out. And uh, so I remember. Um, August of 1997, going out to um, the 
the skydiving place and I had saved up all the money it took to, to do it. And I remember just like walking up, I didn't just pay for like one jump. I paid for the whole thing, like a whole, like, like, like 20 skydives. Here's all the money for all the, the class and all the instruction and all the stuff. I'm like, here's my certification. Like, here it is. I'm here to learn how to skydive. And I knew before, um, that first jump that I was just, I was going big. Like, this is what I was going to do. I just, I had this feeling like it was, it was a turning point in my life and um uh skydivers party <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and, and uh you know so there was plenty of and i'm 22 years old and you know i have like a construction job or something like that and, and i can get off of the construction job and race down to the airport and get a couple skydives in before dark and then i'd spend all day saturday and all day sunday and you know and um i end up answering the phones down there to earn jump credits and uh I, so I got licensed to skydive and, um, in that first year and and I got my license in the fall. So as you know, in Oregon, like in the winter, it rains, like it's cloudy and you don't skydive when it's cloudy and rainy, you can't see the ground. It hurts to fall through the raindrops and uh, we do it anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, uh, um, I did a hundred skydives like the first year I skydived, did a hundred skydives. And I think like that's when you and I met was like, I was in the midst of this, like, um, you know, hobby that was absolutely consuming to me. And then on the side, you know, there's this social party kind of scene. I've got a job that pays pretty decent because it's a construction job. And, and, um, and I, I felt like at that point, skydiving had just, had, had taken me. And like, you know, while I was still living in town there, I was, I was ready to go. And I remember getting a phone call from a buddy who the year prior had gone to this place in Arizona to be uh, to work. And he's like, Hey, there's a opening here, to, just an office opening here at skydive, Arizona, halfway between Phoenix and, and uh, Tucson. And I told him that you do a good job. And I'm like, sweet. So he's like, call the office manager. I did, or the owner's wife, I guess. And, and we talked on the phone and she's like, when can you be here? And I'm like, well, it'll probably take me a couple of weeks. She's like, well, just, you know, be here by this date because we need you here for, we're hosting the skydiving national championships. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I've read about all of these people in magazines. I'm going to go rub shoulders. It was the same as bicycle racing, except it was the skydiving world. You know, it's the army skydiving team and like mm-hmm. these hot shot, the professionals, man. Can you believe it? Like there are these people who get paid to, to skydive and make formations as fast as they can. I don't really know where the money comes from <laughs> for them to but do that. But I want to go like, find out. <laughs> sponsors, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go hang out. You know, I'm this guy with 100 skydives, and I'm just super eager. And, you know, um, and uh, and I moved to Arizona. I just, like, I think I went down there with, like, a tent and a cooler and a backpack full of clothes and my and my uh, parachute. And uh, – uh, um, Can I ask, what did your parents think about this? Were they – Good question. <laughs> good question. <laughs> Not, um, I mean – I'm a parent now, right? So I think I, I I think I understand now. I didn't understand then. Um, my dad just sort of preferred not to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like he he yeah. I now know because I'm a father. I now know he was like he was very worried. He was he was very worried that um, that I was doing something dangerous, and then like you know at some point chance comes into this thing no matter how careful you are chance comes into it you know and this isn't like russian roulette but if you haven't skydived it sort of feels like it right like you are just rolling the dice right like you could die anytime on one of those things and and um 
think my I think my mom uh she was a little more like you know this guy's um my dad's kind of like God, i thought this kid was smart and he was on his way to college he's dropped out he's yeah. just totally partying he's quit being a bicycle race he's totally partying now he's skydiving like what ter- what direction is this guy going yeah <laughs> and uh and he um <clears throat> you know he was around but but you know not super supportive. He didn't criticize it. He just is like, well, you're doing, you're on your path. I think, you know, he didn't say as much, but I, I, I figured that out. And, yeah. um, and, uh, my mom was just like, you know, be safe. And, and, um, I, I think she felt like I was, you know, really living life, which is really what I was doing. And, and, um, skydivers are pretty amazing people. They're from all walks of life. Um, you know, there's like doctors and lawyers and construction workers, and they're all just together doing this thing. Mm-hmm. This common, this common thread of um, really living life. And, um, and I, you know, some of my best lasting, most meaningful relationships, even if I'm not in constant contact with those people, I stay in touch with them are skydivers, you know, from all around the world. And, and, uh, um, that was my life, man. And, and, you know, in retrospect, I, I, I look at, uh, what skydiving was for me. Skydiving was, I got a whole lot more high from skydiving than I did from drinking, smoking, mm-hmm. mushrooms, you know, like that, that was kind of a fun little pastimey thing, but I'm like, man, you want to really, really feel it, you know, cl- open the door of an airplane and climb out on the wheel and hang on the side of the wing strut and look down, you know, 3,000, 10,000 feet. It's all way up there. You want to be that high, right? So your parachute is mm-hmm. and, and then you look back in the plane and you nod and then you just let go. And there's that feeling, that exit feeling is, um, there's nothing like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I can look at that now and be like, wow, um, that was my, that became my drug of choice. And I was all the way addicted. It wasn't like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. I do that like, you know, once a month I go out. It was like every moment that I could surround myself in that, I did and I wanted to. And um and then, you know, the after hours and the skydiving scene are uh social things, right? People don't just hole up and stay to themselves. Uh they sit around a bonfire and tell stories right (laughs) uh and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and so you know you've got a lot of adrenaline going through your body all day long you kind of want that something to bring you down you know what i mean and and um it's sort of this like required uh you know balancing or something like that Mm -hmm. it's like heavy duty adrenaline that you go taking your body all day you know and then the evening time you got to come down from that a little bit you know and and um you know the big skydiving centers they all have bars at them wow (laughs) they all have bars at them at at the airport and there's real strict rules for obvious sure you know and like you know that this is ultimately governed by the faa so you can't just be a bunch of crazy cowboys like doing crazy stuff like there are very strict rules and the pilot is a real professional and the airplane really costs a million dollars and like there's a business being run there but they also know that like (laughs) the people that own these places know like well we should have a drinking establishment here because we can make a lot of money after hours doing this and so um 
Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the skydiving world took me uh, to Arizona for a year. And then um, I met some people and then I moved to Illinois and uh, um, I had like, like 300 skydives or something. And I was good friends with uh, this, the kids, kids being like 22 year old, 23 year olds of the owners, this family drop zone is a big place called skydive Chicago. And, and, uh, and I, and I moved there to like clean toilets and like sweep the floor just so, so you could I jump could out of airplanes. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have some, you know, I like I worked in the pro shop in Arizona for a while and I worked in the office, you know, setting up the loads to go up on the airplane and I packed parachutes, you know, that's a job, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Like uh, people that are really into it, have somebody else pack their parachutes is a little bit hard and it's five bucks to have a parachute packed, right? right. <laughs> so here's five bucks. In the grand scheme of what I'm doing, if I pay another five bucks, like, pff, that's great. I trust this guy. So um, I packed parachutes a little bit. And when I was out there at the end of that first year, I remember the owner coming to me and he's like, hey, so I heard you're at 500 skydives. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what, you know, don't you, what, do you, what would you say about being a tandem instructor? And I just looked at him like, whoa. And, and uh, he goes, uh, he's like, I'll pay for the he's the owner so he can do this he's like oh, i'll pay for your your credential your class that you need to do and these 20 jumps in the in the class he's like i'll pay for that and then you pay me back you know with the tandem jumps that you do for me you know so people would come to these the, these facilities to do a first time skydive and they go with the tandem instructor the person who's like real experience minimum of 500 skydives and uh and i and it was just like dream come true i'm like I, I did the class with him and he had these really experienced old veteran guys on his staff and they, and, and they knew I was the local kid and they knew that they needed to humble me a little bit. And I'm grateful for that, you know, and really got me thinking about how to be really well, how to stay alive and do that. You know what I mean? And how mm-hmm. to be a professional and how to be ready to, to deal with weird stuff that comes up when you have a scared new person strapped to the front of your body and you push them out of an airplane <laughs> they're going to do some weird stuff sometimes mm-hmm. and uh um and so they really taught me to be a great in- instructor like i always feel very fortunate that my mentors in that regard were like guys at twenty thousand skydives you know that worked in the industry their whole career and and uh i remember you know i have this i'm, I'm now a tandem instructor and i'm thinking man, I am now a professional skydiver. Like this is awesome, right? Like this is just, I am, I have arrived. And, uh, um, everybody kind of thought I was going to move back to Arizona for the winter, you know, and I had never been in the upper Midwest for a winter. I'm like, no, no, no. And no, I'm going to stay and I'm going to go back to school. Um, which was totally a lie. I was there for a girlfriend (laughs) and I didn't want to leave. Right. There's always a girl in the story. Right. And, uh, and they're like, really? Are you sure? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my residency and I'm gonna go back to school. Well, that was totally BS, you know. And 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 I don't go back to my job in Arizona and I stay there, and I'm delivering pizzas in the middle of northern Illinois, rural northern Illinois in the in the winter, in the dead of winter, and uh, and I'm like, oh man, like this is um this is what a professional skydiver is like. <laughs> Here I am, like delivering pizzas in the winter like, in oh, Illinois. You no, know, four months ago, I was just thought I was God. You know what I mean? I was just like, man, all these people came up and like I got to show them the, you know, a good time. And and uh, you know what I did is I, <laughs> I went and I filled out my financial aid application. Oh, the girl dumps me. Of course she does. <laughs> 
Well, and, you do uh, pizzas now, right? Not... The way it's supposed to go. Oh. And, uh, um, you know, spring, it was a long winter. Spring finally rolls around. And, and uh, you know, and I, so I actually, you know, decided to go back to school. I got a good deal financially to do that and with financial aid. And, and um, so I was able to balance um, being a skydive instructor basically in the summer and then a college student, you know, the rest of the year. And there were some shoulder seasons where I was pretty conflicted. Like it was pretty hard for me to go to class. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in September when I knew that like I could be skydiving and I made a lot of money, you know what I mean? I would, I would do, um, you know, I make three, 350 bucks a day jumping out of airplanes, you know what I mean? And that's, that's pretty good money, you know, even, even now it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but it's a real finite thing, you know, you do it for a few months. And so, um, so I, I kind of straddled both of those worlds. Um, but my, my whole, you know, the, the college world and the, and the skydiving world, but really my, my world revolved around the drop zone and skydiving. And while I was going to school, um, and I felt good about that. And I was really a good student for the first time in my life. I was a good student. I was also 25 years old, you know, and like faced death a lot. So like, you know, college trigonometry is nothing. <laughs> right. I was pretty hyper focused, you know. And are you so you, you were you were not partying as much at this point or oh, still no, it finding? All, it all totally. I, I had to I had to leave school on on Friday as oh. soon as class was out so I could get back and get that party on Friday night. And I had a while I was in school, I, I, I literally had a school an old broken down, didn't run school bus that I lived in uh off the end of the runway with some other school buses it was painted metallic green cloud wow. cloud curtains yeah and with a bed in the back and a fridge and and uh and there's a shower house nearby it's like the life you know it's like a skydiver bum life and so i was able to straddle both of that and i wasn't ready to i wasn't ready to let go of that skydiver social mm-hmm. thing you know, it's just awesome thought i was awesome and how long did you do that for uh I did both for, so I, I lived out there for a total of six years, you know, and it took me like three and a half or four to finish school. I took my time, right? I only took like the minimum number of full-time credits so that I could keep skydiving. I would take mm-hmm. a lot in the winter time, right? And and uh, so I think I was out there for, um, yeah, six six years or something like that. And But it would always be about coming back to hang out with the skydivers. And there's no just like hang out and be sober with skydivers whether right. you know i mean the craziest time to be at a skydiving place ever the craziest stuff you will ever seen see is if it's a saturday or a sunday but usually a saturday and there are all these people who have day jobs like during the week jobs and they come out and they have a trailer or they brought their tent and they are there to party at night and skydive during the day and if the clouds come in and there's no skydiving Mm-hmm. And the forecast is like, look, the clouds are low. It's like, you know, there's no skydiving going on. There are a bunch of cooped up skydivers. And the and the owner literally would like, there was a light in the hangar that was that was the beer light. And you couldn't drink beer or any alcohol anywhere. It was the rules, right? Till the beer light came on. And normally it came on like after that first air, that last airplane of the day goes up, the sun's starting to go down. Like if you're on the ground, you're not going to skydive again crack a beer and the light literally would come on well a saturday where there's no hope of there being <laughs> skydiving and there are like 75 or 100 skydivers they just flip the beer light on at like 11 o'clock right <laughs> and it was on and usually by like 
early evening, it was just mayhem because these people were like, they had wanted to go out and get their fix of skydiving and they couldn't. And so they just like, it would get, you know, that's when clothes, clothes came off and golf right. carts got rolled and all kinds of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, non skydiving activities usually involved, you know, getting hurt, which was interesting. Cause then they would go skydiving and they were like totally safe. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, usually Sunday morning, the sun inevitably would come out and like all of those skydivers, these are like experienced skydivers, right? Not the students. They weren't getting out of their tent until 11 o'clock because they had absolutely gone for it the night before, you know. And so, and as an instructor, you had to be pretty tempered about that. Our Friday night was Sunday night, right? Because we would work, we would do a lot of jumps on Saturday and Sunday. You know, Mm -hmm. 20, 25 skydives was not a big deal for a weekend. Sunday night would come, we would have Monday off, and Sunday night is when we would get after it. And and, and it would all be the instructors together because we kind of were in the same boat of like, well, we have to be up there at 7.30 in the morning with like a, you know, we can't be smelling like booze. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and you know, we were professionals, so we we handled handled that part of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Couldn't smudge those lines. It was, that wasn't okay, you know. And, and right. that's good that it wasn't okay. But, uh, um, yeah, so I've got 4,000 skydives now. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, I haven't skydived in like 15 years, which is the, which is the amazing thing, you know. Um I uh, felt like I took it seriously enough that I didn't want to dabble, just dabble in it. And I knew that mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was kind of, kind of moving on with life and maybe I was going to move back out west and maybe get a job. I had graduated college. And what and, did you do uh, after college? Like, where, did you move back after those six years in Illinois? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I moved back to Portland and had some friends here and, and who, who set me up. And, um, and man, the drinking went full speed then <laughs> they were like professionals you know what i mean like they had you know they could drink i mean i remember coming back and being like oh i can hang i can hang i've been with these skydivers and it was that was not the case like these guys were you know professionals <laughs> and they would call I feel like there's this level of sometimes like they're i call them i call them cut looses and these are folks that will you know do what they got to do all week long and then they'll rip it up on the weekends and then they'll go back to and that sort of style where you talk about people who are professionals and these are people who will drink no matter what. And I feel like yep. I was one of those where I, it was it was like yeah. my second job. Like I would yeah. clock in, you know, if, if I had to drink before work, I would control it with like two or three beers. Yep. And then if I had to drink during work or whatever it was. And so there's this this different there's lots of different ways that people drink alcoholically. Right. Yeah. And so when you talk about those professionals and you're like, damn, these people do it all day long and they do it in, you know, the, the tolerance levels are higher. So you higher. you start seeing, you know, I know all my, most of my friends who, who were alcoholics who are, were huge heavy drinkers, like volumes. Yep. Volumes. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're doing this in Portland, you get back to Portland and you, you find a job or you. Yeah. Yeah. I found a job and so I was fortunate. I got, I've, you know one of those crunchy Oregonians who gets an environmental degree. And then I'm like, Oh, I'll totally get a job. It's like, well, yeah, you and every other person has an environmental degree. Well, I actually got a job using it, you know? And, and, um, um, I, uh, but still hanging with my really like high school buddies. And I wasn't in Eugene. I was in Portland and, um, you know, we, um, the weekends were, we were all still single, right? And, mm-hmm. and that, like, that played into it, you know? I mean, that was, 
it was um those were probably the, the our experimenting time was over our amateur years were behind us and i remember coming back and they're like oh yeah gosh you were a, you know like you were a skydiver i don't know i would get put on this pedestal like well you know you must be able to hang cuz you are like tough or you're like you have proved yourself you're this badass or something i'm like yeah cool i felt like i had this sort of like status or something like that but then friday night would come around and, and it, it, like and they would get after it in ways where i was just like man i did like this is this is hard and I, i'm always friends with people that are big i don't know why that is but like ah, some of these guys i lived with a couple of just huge dudes they're like college football players and i would be like i can hang with them i can hang with them i can hang with them and i would do my best to hang with them <laughs> And, and then I was like, well, I can hang with them. And then I would get a bunch of liquid courage, you know, and then I would, I would be like, well, on my way. And then I would be like, well, let's do something really crazy. Um, like let's get the potato gun out. And it was like a potato cannon. I brought it back to college. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, oh yeah. Like uh, it was a mm-hmm. potato cannon hand, a bazooka. Cause you can hold it butt with your hand. Right. And, uh, let's shoot that out the front door. I mean, I'm, I'm like 29 years old. I shouldn't be shooting like anything out of any front door no. <laughs> in town. And, uh, and, and, and so, it, you know, everybody looked at me cause they're like, well, you're the crazy one. Right. And I, I wasn't really crazy until I was like pretty close to like blackout stage. Right. And I could go for a while in blackout stage. And, um, what was interesting is that it carried through my skydiving. There was this real control element. I always was like, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was out of control, but I, I was like, okay, we're going to shoot this thing. We have time to shoot this thing twice. And then we're turning the porch light off and we're going down in the basement because like somebody's going to call the police after I shoot my own, the side of my own pickup truck with this potato from like 30 feet away. It's going to be loud. And then it's going <laughs> to blast the side of my truck. And then we're going to go inside because we're going to get away with it. I mean, because I was I was like hyper focused. So even just like smashed, you know, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to pull. I'm going to be the craziest guy at the party. Yeah. And, and and like and but not crazy, like out of control and, and, you know, getting caught. It was crazy. And, you know, we're going to pull it off and then we're going to do it again. And because because there was I needed to mix a little adrenaline in there. You know what I mean? And so um you know, not, um, yeah, lots of riding on top of cars on the freeway and things like that. You know, what it's I mean? funny that you talk about being on a pedestal or feeling that way, because when I knew you, mm-hmm. um, there was this, this is Jerry's friend, Casey deck who jumps out of airplanes, you know? And I was like, wow, that's fucking crazy, man. Like that's, yeah. that's awesome. And, and in, in my mind back then it was also like, who's this jock that Jerry's hanging out with? Right. <laughs> so it, this is, and this is just my perception at like 21. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah. I felt like, you know, here I was somebody who was, um, who didn't have any necessarily athletic ability at the time or didn't care to, um, yeah. And thought of myself as much more of a cerebral person. And then it was just like, but there, there was this feeling of like, and also that, but that energy that you have, and you talk about having that wild, crazy energy. And, yeah. and that was like, I didn't, I didn't fully get it. Cause, and it's funny that I, I thought you were a jock. I mean, I didn't even know that you, <laughs> right. you rode bicycles like yeah. that until we talked about it. And which I think is amazing, you know? Um, but 
I love that energy. Like that was one of those things was like, these are the people that I want to be around. Like these are, you know, crazy people. These are people yeah. who are wild and, and, um, wanting right. to kind of feel burning this, like just something's going on with them and I want to be around it. And, wow. and it was really exciting, you know? And so it was like a party at Casey's house. These things are awesome. Yeah. We're not going to disappoint. We're not going to sit around in anything we're, it's, we're mm -hmm. going to, there's going to be a potato gun and yeah. Um, yeah. And cottage cheese in the beer bong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so you're drinking, you're in your thirties, you're, yeah. you're still having a pretty good time of it. Um, yeah, in, yeah. I went hard all the way through 30, man. I, I definitely, I went for it. I was, I was rock and roll, um, you know, with my own sort of twist, right? Like, mm. um, and, uh, um, definitely not in settle down mode at all. And, I, and, and then, and then I came back to Portland, you know, after, you know, like I feel like I had maybe like a seasonal job for a year, and then uh, and then I kind of settled into something that turned into sort of like a career path kind of job. And and uh, you know, I knew in my mind then that I was going to settle down. Like my parents had set this example. Like I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to have kids. I want to be married. I want to have a house. You know, all of our, you know, my buddies were all buying houses, and we would all help each other fix them up. And actually, ultimately led to like my new career as a contractor. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it was an adventure. You know, and like whatever, buying a house and figuring out how to remodel the bathroom, just like do, do it yourself. We couldn't afford to hire a contractor. We didn't want to do that. You know, we, there was sort of felt like we needed to prove we could do that. You know, like, Oh, well, we tore off roofs when we were 19 years old. We ought to be able to remodel this bathroom. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, um, I think I settled a little bit. I settled down a little bit. I had another little stint of bicycle racing when I was 30. I kind of like, uh, um, uh, found, a, the, the, or rediscovered the, the sort of like the mental escape of spending time and, you know, just out riding and I wouldn't listen to music or anything. It would just be in my head and just thinking through thoughts. It's super healthy. It's like, it's the same thing you hear any endurance athlete talk about, that opportunity to just be alone in your head is super healthy. You can sort a lot of stuff out. And, and I, I really enjoyed that from like 31 to 35 years old or 33. Um, and I remembered how to do the bicycle racing thing. So what I had to do is get fit again. Cause I remember how to, I remembered how to drive my bike, like through traffic. And I'm like, and I got 4,000 skydives. Like I am not scared of you all around me at all. Like I'm going to put my shoulder into you and I'm going to get to the front and like, and then I'm going to be able to out sprint you. And so I had success quickly easily again and um uh i enjoyed that um i met my wife you know and and she'll tell a hilarious story about me coming in i was on this team it was like orange and navy blue like just hideous colors i got this orange lycra thing on and she's over at my sister's house and i just come walking in like shaved legs la 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 and i'm pretty comfortable with myself and my lycra well when i'm fit i am i'm not so much <laughs> but at any rate i come cruising and she's like who is this guy you know like i think i've got a ponytail or something oh, i don't know and uh, oh yeah yeah exactly shaved legs ponytail you know and definitely think i'm pretty cool yeah who is this guy like what in the world and and um uh, I didn't make too much of a buffoon of myself because, you know, 13, 14 years later, she... <laughs> she's, she's still your wife. Still here. Yeah. We've got kids and stuff. And, and, uh, and, uh, so anyways, I, I did a little more of the bicycle racing stuff, but you know, we, 
she and I definitely enjoyed like no kids, you know, being together. And, you know, at that point you're like in your early thirties and, you know, you have a job, so you can't get super crazy, but like you're pretty dialed in on what you do. Like, you know, you're pretty dialed in on like, we're going to, you know, very deliberate, like we're going to, and all the weekends and the time off and camping and any time away from work all hinged around like alcohol. And I think for the first time, in those years, even before kids, I really spent a lot of time thinking about making sure that we had enough alcohol. Like I really, and and I wasn't really, I think about that now and I'm like, wow, that was really a thing. But I think I'm like, I definitely consciously was like, we're going to go to this place. We need to make sure that we have this, we're set up, right? Like well, mm-hmm. and then like an extra just in case, you know, you don't want to like come down. You don't want to drink the last beer. You want to be done drinking and have six more in the cooler. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, take it home. Right. And then you're like, okay, I adequately, adequately prepared myself for that, you know, outing, whether it was camping or just hanging out with friends out at the lake or something like that. And, and, um, um, got married, had kids. Um, my wedding, uh, was at my parents' house, which is awesome. It was like such a rad wedding, not just cause it was my wedding, but like we, it was well thought out and uh um my i needed a job for for the boys right all my boys and we weren't going to have a big wedding party so they weren't like going to all be in there matching it was a, it was a kind right. of a country wedding right i didn't even wear a tie right i wore chaco sandals right nice pants button up yeah, shirt. that's it sure everybody sat on hay bales right bluegrass mm-hmm. band playing but i needed a job for like my good buddies and their job was as people came down the gravel driveway to to this meadow to hand out the booze. Like they were in charge of that. And I knew they would not fail at that job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wasn't worried about them failing at any job, but I knew there was nobody more qualified than like those three dudes to make sure that people didn't just walk by the keg or walk by the cases of wine. And um uh we drank a full cake like the, it was a big wedding but like you know it's going to be a good wedding when a, a a full keg is consumed before the ceremony starts yeah and uh, <laughs> it just everybody's pretty loose because you haven't had a drink you've had like a few and and i maybe had one or something I, I had my wits about me pretty well you know like i didn't i was sort of living in the moment and, and so forth but you know people su- like really got after it there's a little pond next to where we were standing just as like a little decorative pond with duckweed in it and some cattails or whatever and like some some like distant cousin this little kid like didn't understand that the duckweed like didn't understand it was water and in the middle of the ceremony this like two and a half year old kid three-year-old kid bombs into the pond like 15 feet away from where we're standing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and fortunately, like everybody just like, you know, the one kid, like a, a, like a high school or a college kid who worked for me, he, he was like a boy scout and he just jumped in, snatches the kid, pulls the kid out. But that was the moment that we realized that like everybody was drunk at the wedding because it was mayhem when that happened. <laughs> like 
the minister couldn't get everybody to like, hang on, we need to finish this ceremony. And everybody was like, it was like they had kept it together and kept it together. And then this crazy thing happened. And a little kid fell in the pool and upon everybody went, <laughs> the dad falls in. There's this big splash, you know, and then the Boy Scout jumps in and pulls the kid out and helps the dad out. And everybody's like super elated, you know, but it was so loud and so crazy. And, uh, and so my whole, you know, I mean, of course there's extended family there, but like my whole world, you know, it was all, you know, the most important thing was the, you know, having enough, like having enough and going and getting more like backup beer in cases of beer. And it was all, it was a big deal. And, you know, I think of those things fondly now, but now I, I see, um, how much, you know, I worried even then about making sure that there was enough, right? Like, um, or more than enough or something like that. And so, um, kids came along and they've, uh, they've totally changed, you know, my perspective on humans <laughs> as mm -hmm. they do. And I'm in charge of, you know, we are in charge of raising little humans that we want to be good, big humans. And, um, there, a lot comes with that. And, um, I think my, you know, outlet for the thing that drove me to want to be like gung-ho skydiver and top bicycle racer, like high performing on the edge, sort of thrill seeking, got sort of pushed to the back because there wasn't a place for that to happen at the same time, but it was still there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I mean, it's still here now, but, but I, um, you know, happy, happy marriage for sure. My wife is just so awesome and incredible and supportive and wonderful. And my kids are super incredible, but, but part of me inside there was, you can't just like turn off the like, Oh, I just did that when I was young. I'm, I'm not young anymore. So I'm not that way anymore. There's still this burning kind of thing that, that I didn't even begin to recognize what it was until, you know, within the last year. And that's that, um, I'm pretty addicted to those feelings and feeling that way. And I needed to be able to have it and have an outlet for it, healthy or unhealthy. And in, earlier in my life, I don't think it was healthy. I, it was all in the name of, well, I'm just living life large, you know? Um, but there's no question in my mind now that I was very, I was addicted to that feeling of racing my bicycle or I was addicted to that feeling of skydiving for sure, you know? Um, and, um, do you feel like alcohol gave you that, or at least had a, 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 a mediocre facsimile of those highs? Well, I can tell you or... that now that I have taken alcohol out of my life, I can see it and I didn't see it before so i don't know that i consciously knew and understood that alcohol was something i was trying to like fill something with but now that i've taken that out i really can see myself you know what i mean as myself and you know i want to and we've we've had a few discussions we've talked and we've reconnected um and one thing that i that i don't hear in your story and 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 that you know a lot of these typical um recovery stories are I got a DUI and I lost my house and I lost my wife and I was in jail and all these things. And so I don't hear a lot of that in your story and that yeah. things feel well balanced and that you, you know, what, 
we we like to use the term rock bottom a lot, right? And so maybe maybe my bottom was lower than somebody else's and your bottom is higher than somebody else's. And maybe we don't have to call it a bottom necessarily. But when you talk about the realization that what I had been doing, what I had been taking in was no longer serving me. Now, I I wish that I wish that I could have come to those realizations in the same way that you did without all of the pain. And I'm not saying that you didn't have a certain amount of pain and struggle with these things. Yeah. And so I guess I would like to ask you about, you know, how it came about in the last year. Yeah. That you started to see um, or, or 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 what was the moment that you said, I really need to take this out of my life. I really, what was your moment of clarity? What was your, for lack of a better word, that rock bottom moment where you said, I can't drink any more alcohol. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, for me, um, 2018, just like, like for our whole family, it was just, just a rough year, you know, very good, very some of our best friends getting divorces, uh, mm. other best friends getting terminal cancer, um, older members of our family needing to be taken care of, and 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 the ball kind of landing in our lap. And um, uh, my business and my business model, it was like really a lot of pieces. My my business hitting a spot that wasn't sustainable and me realizing that and then having to sort of let go of that mixed in with what I say are, you know, I I just started to look for answers. I'm like, why is all of this happening? Why is everything so hard? Like there were so few happy days for most of last year. And frankly, we just go straight to like alcohol. And I found myself like, like thinking about, when do I get to start drinking early in the day, you know? And so I don't know, maybe like last fall, um, we of course t- tackled, I-, I thought I could just take it in stride and have this construction company that does high end remodeling. And I could do a-, a big project on our house. My wife's like, we've always wanted to do it. Let's just do it now. And I'm like, okay, I'll just sort of fit it in. And then all this other family stuff and life stuff happened. And, you know, so our house is torn apart, you know, best friends got brain cancer, another best friends, you know, splitting up from his wife of 15 years. And that was all kind of new to me, right? Like everything close around me was very familiar and that was all unfamiliar. And so, um, I, it didn't, it wasn't one catastrophic event and I'm glad I'm grateful for that. I'm yeah. grateful for not like <clears throat> one, like a bad decision, you know, getting behind the wheels, the, the big bad decision. Right. And so, mm-hmm. They drink and drive for sure. Right. Like, um, there's always been this control element of of me though, that like, you know, is like, I don't know, like uh, careful about that sort of thing. Cause I wanted to be in control. You know what I mean? Wanted to be hyper-focused and like win at that thing I was doing. And, um, and you know, so I, I've, I didn't know I was at a bottom. I can see it now very clearly that like there was a, accumulation of like just many as i put um extraordinary things that just all stack right on top of each other you know when you like your business that you try and you're like you're super invested in it and like you're just reinvesting and reinvesting and then 
it's just like all of a sudden you're not paying yourself and then you're like man i've got bills due and and um you know it puts a, a huge strain on on you know relationships family um the piece for me if there's one piece that really drove me to make a decision i mean i i got scared when i found myself i i got scared not i got scared when i caught myself really thinking about like when can i drink and it was like i need to be ready and there's always lots of alcohol here and like when can i get into it like when can i when can i crack that open you know like when can i um, have that afternoon beer, maybe like at one or something. And then, and then I'll have a cocktail. And then when my wife gets home, like if she wants a cocktail, I'll have a second cocktail and then we'll split a bottle of wine. That was, that became super duper routine for me. And like every once in a while, you know, maybe there'll be those days on a Saturday and you're just like, whatever, the weather is great. I always hear you talk about that. Oh, it's a beautiful sunny day. Wouldn't it drink nice, right? God, I just feel that now. Maybe you maybe, Maybe it's because you said it, but at any rate, you know, like every once in a while that would happen. It started happening a lot, a lot, you know, like last fall. And, um, and I knew the, like, wasn't the right way to deal with it, but it was the only way I knew how to deal with it. And so, um, the thing that happened that was the, the piece and didn't just happen, it's been happening. And as I, you know, spell out all the crazy stresses that the adults in this household have had in the last year, it, it does make sense that some of our young people, you know, our daughter has um, anxiety and significant anxiety that like that was ramping up and ramping up and to the point where she she couldn't handle regular um, she couldn't go to school and she was quitting all of her activities and so forth that she did. And um, I, I think that early on in my decision to not drink, it was. Well, I'm doing this because I want to be present for her, and I still stand behind that. And I feel so good that I know it's been a hundred percent just me, her father, who cares, you know, the most, along with her mother, right, about her well-being and am her biggest advocate. That it's pure me all the time, taking in information and trying to like help get her the tools to get through. Um, conquering something that she's going to have to deal with her whole life it isn't like oh when we get this fixed we'll be good we can go back to whatever it's like no 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 no. we you're signed up for a life of needing to use these tools we're going to develop now and so um that was the kind of the pushing me over the the edge thing where i'm like i need to be yeah you know for her and um you know what's interesting is that it in my experience that for she continued to sort of have a t struggle a little bit, even for the first three or four months that I, I, I had stopped drinking. And, and then I'm just like, well, maybe I should just drink, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know that this is really helping, but I, now I can see like, well, it took a long time for, for her to really start to get traction with her tools, you know? And, um, but you know, me going through not drinking, for the first time and what that meant and then also helping her and it's, it's like this mental you know it's like a mental health thing deciding to not drink anymore and i knew i was helping her with this mental health thing and, and i'm not a doctor and i'm not a m mental health professional you know and i'm just a dad with these instincts right to, to protect and to help and all of that and and so um you know I, I guess my bottom i thought about that uh it was uh 
it it wasn't clear until um probably three months in like wow that was all and it, it was like we finally got the great aunt's house we finally got the aunt's house sold and divorce over here settled in, you know, and, and, um, you know, the dust started to settle in our life a little bit. We're really close to being done with our house. And, and, um, and I've kind of gone through the process of sort of like letting go of the idea that I had for my company and shifting it to like, what's going to be next and be okay with that. Because I approached my company the way I approached bicycle racing or skydiving. I was all in and I was going to win. And then when I saw what it would take, to do that, the cost of that in my particular industry was a cost that I wasn't willing to pay. And because, because what that was, was, you know, working 75 hours a week, I could see what yeah. I needed to, do to be successful. And I just wasn't willing to like compromise my family. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to blink and have my kids gone and be divorced and just be like, well, great. Look at this, look at all this wealth I have, but yeah, I didn't make the right decision along the way. And, and, um, so anyway, that's, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, you know, my bottom was like, uh, things accumulated into, to that point, um, where I went, you know, what's going on. And and that's when I discovered you and Jerry's, um, <laughs> podcast. I'm like, I know these guys, you know, and I'm like, what is this all about? You know, like, <laughs> what are like, these drunks talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I just, I don't know. It just spoke to me. I just went right straight back to like hanging out at Jerry's house and Jerry could right. be on some rant about something. I'm like, this is just Jerry ranting. Exactly. This is exactly the same thing. I'm like, I'm so comfortable with this. Right. And, and, right. um, you know, it's interesting. So my sobriety date is January 6th and, um, and it's interesting. I'm like, I wonder if I'll always remember that. Oh, hell yes. I'm always going to remember that <laughs> because, because, um, uh, I remember it and the things, the details of it, even though there was drinking that day, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, or the day before that, that, that day, um, uh, I remember it like I remember my first skydive, like, and I remember my first skydive and it was 22 years ago. I remember like it, like it was yesterday because this yeah. is a very vivid thing because I knew right then was just like that moment where I walked in and I gave that skydive instructor that whole big wad of cash and said teach me how to skydive i was in right then from the beginning which you know i i know that i have to be careful with that um because all or nothing is a big bet and um it, it just you got to back it up and you know there is um easy does it <laughs> and moderation don't fit into like go big or go home you know you to blend those together and to understand what that all means is um, you know, it takes a lot of thinking and time. And, uh, my wife asked me on January 6th, she goes, what, uh, what do you think about doing a, uh, dry February with me as she hands me a beer, she's having a beer and I'm having a beer and I'm going to go out with like the, the dads of the soccer team, right. That mm -hmm. I coach to drink. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm in. She's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And it's like, I hadn't really shared with her that I'd really been thinking about that relationship. And she proposed that and we cracked that beer. And that was, the, and, and that was the last, that was the last beer that I like I had at home. It was the last yeah. drink I had at home. You know, I went out and had a couple of beers, you know, uh, and, and came home. But the interesting thing was, is she was talking about starting in February and, and January 7th, I, I like, 
I was done right then and there, you know, and, and we both were, which was great. Like we were like, Hey, do you want to do this? Yeah, let's do this next month. Let's do this. And we did it um, almost four weeks prior to that. Right. And, um, <clears throat> um, she took a nice, like, gosh, two and a half, three month hiatus, you know, and, 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 um, she drinks now again, um, just a little bit real tempered, you know, and, and, um, it, it makes me think a lot about like how much I was, uh, fueling the fire, so to speak, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like what do you, do, you know, what do you really need there? And, and there's not a, like, you know, someone who's like making sure that we've got enough, you know what I mean? And like, oh yeah, I, I went to the liquor store so we can have cocktails before we had our blah, blah, blah. And they have these six packs of this good beer. And so I got this one and then this one and I'm set right for the weekend. It, it just didn't make it to the weekend though. Right. That stuff was gone before the weekend and I went and got more. So, so what is like, so now you're talking, you're six months, six months into this almost. And yeah. uh, what does mm -hmm. like recovery look like for you on a daily basis? When you, when you think about it, your, your recovery from alcohol or alcoholism, or, I mean, you know, I don't yeah. know how you describe it, but yeah, recovery for sure. And in, you know, and I've questioned if it's like really the alcohol or if it's just recovering uh, a better part of myself that's inside, you mm -hmm. know, um, and that's just a piece of it. I've, recently sort of attached myself to the idea that like stopping drinking is like my gateway drug although i don't know if that's the right analogy but it kind of is right sure it's, yeah it's the analogy of like this is the the door to the rest of these doors and if you can go through this door um there's a lot of other doors with rad shit behind them and um and i and i discover them all the time you know like daily um, I, I'm like, gosh, this, like, I find myself, you know, everybody tells you like, you know, the key to like, being happy is gratitude and gratitude. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm grateful for this house over my head and this and that, um, genuine gratitude is just so much easier for me to attain. And I attain it every day and it doesn't take this huge effort. I can just have a thought and just be like, man, I'm really grateful that I have, you know, my friend John to talk to or, or. Um, I'm really, you know, grateful that, you know, my kid had a great day at, at camp or something that, that is a whole lot easier for me to get to. Um, I have a, um, kind of a healthier morning routine. I get up and I, and I, um, I drink a bunch of water, I drink a, just a quart of water straight out of the gate. And then I drink another quart of water after I have a cup of coffee and I pee a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, in the first part of the day, but I, I feel like my, I'm super, uh, tuned into my hydration and I feel like that's a, um, you know, a thing, kind of an obsession sort of thing that I'm, you know, that I make sure I, um, I haven't been sick in like nine months and I've got little kids and my whole family got like super sick with crazy bad flu twice. And I like, it was like Han Solo taking the Millennium Falcon sideways through the thing. I'm like, I came mm -hmm. out on the other side and I'm just like, oh my God, everything just exploded around me and I'm totally healthy. How is that? And I and all I can attribute it to is that I know I'm healthier. I don't think that's a mental thing. Maybe it is a mental thing. I don't know. But um, I feel better. I sleep. And you and I have talked about this. I sleep so much better. So I wake up and I know really how I feel because it's just, it's, it's me, you know, not having to process or metabolize, um, booze from the day before or anything else really, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I can, 
I'm, I'm like more sensitive to how I feel. I'm more in tune with that. I feel it every morning, you know, um, when I get up and, um, I get, I get the afternoon comes around and, um, and, uh, um, I go to the, I go to the LaCroix and, uh, or <laughs> LaCroix. Yeah. I, I, that's my, I still am doing that a lot. You know, we're not going through the cases like we really were, man, we went through some cases around <laughs> here. So it's 10 cents for a can in Oregon now. I don't know if you knew that or not, but oh, like, nice. it's 10 cents. you know, my wife's just like, she looks at me and she goes, this is mind boggling. She's like, we have this thing where you just take all the bags and you just you take a huge bag of bottles and there's like a, a return center. Maybe they've already got mm-hmm. that. I don't know. We you, old school used to put the can yeah. thing right. And it was five cents and it wasn't worth it. You just give them to whoever, you know, and it used to be beer cans, right? It used beer to be cans, Milwaukee's exactly. best. <laughs> well, so this is, this is crazy. She, it, she's like, yeah, we got $49 worth of cans. And I just looked at her. She told me this just like Sunday when she went shopping or Saturday, she came back and she's like, yeah, you know, the, the we had these credits. Cause you just leave the bag. It's like we got 50 bucks in cans back. And I just looked at her and I was just like, man, I just associated that with those beer cans. I was like, man, I'm like, I looked at her and I go, and none of those were booze. And she just goes, isn't that amazing? And I'm like, yeah, it really is amazing. You know, that's a testament to like how much like <clears throat> cans of carbonated water, you know, I'm putting mm-hmm. down. And those are definitely a placeholder. And I, you know, and I'm, um, they, they work for me. I feel like I'm starting to mellow on those a little bit, you know, yeah. like, um, a lot. I don't, I don't drink anything else to sort of replace alcohol. Um, other than that, you know? Yeah. So in the evening time though, like I definitely like crack that thing open and it has that feeling and that sound that. Yeah. There's something about that. And it's makes me happy though. Like, I think I get the dopamine a little sure. good from that. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I drink it. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Like, it's not like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, every once in a while, um, I'll work, you know, on my house here and, you know, basically like being the carpenter of my own house and, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll have a hard day, you know, work and it, I'll sort of feel like, you know, how I used to feel of, let's, I want to, can't wait to crack a beer open. Like a beer right. sounds so good right now. Every once in a while, I, I'll have that like on a Friday. It's sunny Friday. I've worked a hard day. I'm all gritty and dirty. I need to take a shower. And a beer sounds really good. Like it really would hit the spot. And for years and years, it's what I would do. And so the great thing is, and I think we talked about this the other day, it doesn't last very long, which is good. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that it doesn't. It doesn't hang around like beer, beer, beer. Just go down and get beer. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad it goes away. This is getting easier. Um, the, the 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 physically not drinking and the triggers and all of that are 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 getting easier. There's the um, there's all the other stuff. You know what I mean? You can't you can't take it for granted. You kind of step back and you think the ship is driving itself, and then you sort of I, I have these moments where I'm like, no, you need to be at the helm of the ship, <laughs> and um, you can't just step back and just. You know, it's your life and you have to take care of it. Um, you guys have turned me on to great resources. Um, I've read Russell Brand's recovery book. I've read mm-hmm. his book. Um, and I've told you this, you know, my my program is <laughs> podcast, po- podcast books and white knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
how awesome is it that it's 2019 and there's a there's a there's a resource like that out there you know what i mean this is this is picking up speed and um um i am just glad there are lots of different resources out there you know what i mean i'm fortunate i got these really great friends from years ago in these formative years that are like leading the way and i can just sort of tuck in and draft them so to speak right i'm like these guys have you know, and they, they tell their story and they bear it all out there. And, and, um, uh, JC, I feel like you're on my shoulder, man. You're doing <laughs> this thing, you know, you're, but you're boxing me in and, uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, you know, Russell Brand was on uh, rich roll the other day. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I, I, I saw that and man, I looked like it popped up and I was so excited i think i texted you i was like yeah. these guys i love these guys you know and i'm like i'm like i'm like i got rich roll russell brand and john and jerry and you're like it's good company to be I'm in man <laughs> so uh you're you you know that's uh i feel fortunate that i had that i wouldn't have found i wouldn't have found a quarter of this stuff and i don't know where my journey would have gone you know i mean um yeah. without just kind of coming across it and then and then having the energy to really plug in and really just like bury myself in information and um you know a community a little bit it's sort of like i'm sort of uh the lurker you know i feel like i'm I, I, um i i can get i know that, that these podcasts are out there for people to help people and i know that that's like totally me um but they definitely feel like it feels better to interface with people to talk with you and to talk with other friends you know who are at different stages of recovery and when you meet someone and you talk about it um it's not easy to just be like socially it's not easy to just be like oh well you know i'm stop drinking and you know often someone in the group or the room in that social s situation will be like you know i'm i got three and a half years we should have coffee. Yeah, that would be awesome. You know, those things are popping up all over for me and it makes me feel surrounded, which people that I like know and like and respect, I'm just like, wow. And they want to hear my story and I want to hear their story, you know? And so the community aspect of this, um, I've done a lot of this, just sort of I've done my homework, my solo kind of mission. And I, I, I feel like I'm pretty pulled to want to participate in community. Yeah. Um, because the value of the human interaction is um it's just it's just tangible you know where um you know you can read books and be yeah oh, that's a great idea or here's some oh this amazing guy this guy interviewed oh you gotta live this is cool but just talking it through and talking it out is uh you just feel like you're not alone you know and and um and it's just not that hard when you're not alone. You know what I mean? I think that we're creatures that do better in a group. <laughs> yes. And, um, and this is a group that um, that might be uh, swimming against the tide, so to speak. And you and I have talked about that. The tide in our culture, Annie Grace talks about it a lot. You know, the 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 you know, I, I'm so hyper aware of like alcohol ads all around and now i'm like aware of it you know i'm with my kids and i'm like the kids are also seeing that i'm like and i've always seen it like it's everywhere it's on the side of the yeah. bus it's this billboard and you know and and um 
you, you want to be in a pod. I want to be in a pod to be the one fish going against the current or all the rest of the fish are going the other way. Or find the other pod, find the other fish that are going the way that you want to go. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think community is probably one of the biggest things. However, however you find it, right. Whether it's, however it starts, whether you listen to a podcast and, possibly send an email to an old friend or read a book that you didn't know about before or any of these things. And then you start to see people in your own community, in your own circles, in the the people you see on a daily basis who are going like, Hey, how did you do this? And you're like, well, let's go get coffee. (laughs) And that's how it starts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, man, it's, um, I've never done anything like this in my life. I've done some, some, you know, adventuresome stuff and like seen some of the world and, and, and traveled and, and, um, been a thrill seeker and, and, a athlete and, you know, and a parent. And this is all way different. I mean, there are yeah. things that I can relate to this, to almost all of those things. I see lots of parallels. Yeah. Skydiving. I see parallels with my, you know, cycling career. Um, but that all in all, you know, th- this is, um, well, maybe the parallel with being a parent is the same thing too. Like this is hard and this is worth it. And, yeah. um, I-, I want that on a shirt. Like this is hard and this <laughs> is worth it. And it's just like so many things. And I mean, a lot of people would be like, duh, you know, like, hello, <laughs> but, um, when, not if you've never seen it before. No. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, and I look around, um, uh, and I see people all around me just immersed in, in, um, our culture of alcohol and, um, you know, and I, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not fine. I'm better than I was. And it just mm-hmm. blows my mind that like, I, we are in this minority in our population and our culture that are doing better. It's so weird, you know, like I I'm proud of it. It's hard. Um, but it's worth it because your eyes get opened to how good life can be. And some people are like, well, life is good. And I'm like, yeah, but imagine if you could take it up like two more clicks of good, right? Like you're gonna have to shift gears cause, cause you're gonna have to unplug from this thing that you think is great. Right. Mm-hmm. Sort of mourn that a little bit, especially if like all your social circles yeah. um, revolve around it. But then and you're gonna have to question with those circles, social circles, if those are really friends, if those were really like great people or if it was the alcohol. Because if you just like take the alcohol out, you know, it's like, are you really friends? <laughs> are you really going to hang out with those people? Do you really have something in common with them? You know, I mean, um, so you have to get to through- me. You know, go it ahead. just I was just gonna say it sounds to me like the velodrome of sobriety, man. You're just <laughs> you find that where you fit in and you're you know, like you talk about riding with next to champions. And so yeah. we we try to get next to people that we are that we that we connect with and then also the people that we go you talk about getting those clicks and like getting higher up. And so when you see somebody who resonates at a higher energy and you wanna be there. You want to feel that. You want to read about that. You want to be around that person. You want to be around those people and seeking those people out. And again, it just comes to the your idea of community. Yeah. Finding yeah. it and creating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine doing sobriety like 
alone in a yeah. cave kind of thing. Like I can't, I mean, maybe it would be, it'd probably be like a, yeah. well, it'd be very different. It, it, it would, it would be hard. Um, and I'm not sure if you'd come out of that cave, you would have, you'd come out of that cave at, having had some spiritual things happen for sure. But I don't know if you'd come out of that cave, like extra human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you'd be less human. And, um, uh, I feel more human than I think I've ever felt. And that's, I don't, it's, it's, it's weird, but I'm, I'm, um, you know, I, I do, f- I feel like, you know, I see things and, you know, I don't know, there's, it's a lot easier for me to not be angry and it's a lot easier for me to be happy. And just those two things alone, it's like, well, fuck the rest of it. Like those two. Amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, um, you know, well, gosh, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's, that's a great place to, to end it. I think Casey is not to be angry and to be happy, you know, yeah, it's easier I, for both of those things to happen. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for for reaching out to me with an email months ago for for even the good times 20 years ago, you know, and all everything in between and being willing to share your story because it's vastly different from a lot of ones that I hear from people. And so I think that's important for folks to know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you being there. You you guys were like when I found myself in a spot where I was looking around as I saw you guys and I'm, I'm glad that it was you, you know, it feels good to been like, well, there's a friend. And, and then it's funny because I felt like, like these guys don't even know, like I've listened to all like 50 of their episodes and I haven't even talked to them. I'm like, I should, I'm like, I should, we're, I feel like I know them so well. I'm like, they haven't even fucking heard from me for (laughs) 20 years. I'm like, I should say hello or something. And it's great. It feels good to just sort of click back in to, to, you know, remember, the friendship that we've had, you know, and it feels like we've been friends this whole time. And, and I feel, um, you know, I feel the same way about Jerry too, you know I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, it'll be, it'll be awesome when our paths get to cross and we get to be at the same place at the same time. That'll be a, a special fun thing that I hope we get to do at some point. And, uh, next time uh, we're in Portland, Casey, we'll, we'll, uh, definitely get together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate right. it, man. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>